Welcome to Simple Conversations, the podcast that connects humanity and helps us all learn new perspectives to living a full life. My name is Inshira Addo. In this episode, I am joined by Ikwa Ofori Boating, a priest and a mechanical engineer who is about to release her very first book, which is a memoir international business leader and electrical engineer Lucy Quist and also Bissy Ejapon who is an author uh, she's been writing all her life uh, she authored uh, Of Women and Frogs and uh, Nana Aredamwa who also is a uh, an engineer uh, an author, a publisher and uh, a literary advocate in Ghana so this will be a conversation about books we collectively love books and uh, it's always a great opportunity to interact with the people who have put together the literary masterpieces that we've enjoyed and maybe have questions about um, or even uh, wonder how they're able to creatively weave those texts together to inspire us. And I would like to start off with Bissy. Bissy, what inspired of women and frogs? I've been asked this question so many times and every time it seems as if I come up with a different reason because all the reasons are true. Um, It started off first as something I wrote to impress a writer who wanted to help me and somebody who turned out to be in fact a publisher in America I didn't know. And so I just wanted to, you know, write something for him. But the truth of the matter is that I've always been very preoccupied with children and how adults raise children, how adults in Africa or particularly in Ghana treat Mm. children as though they are not very bright and we don't answer their questions when it comes to uh, sex, love, marriage. We just give them prescriptions. We give them prescriptive behavior, but we don't try to tell them what is the reason behind it. So as someone who was a very curious child and understanding that lack of information can lead to really bad choices, I decided to write this book about a girl growing up. So it's a coming of age novel, obviously, about a girl growing up and uh, discovering herself and her place within society. Uh, What has been generally the response to some of the themes and the subject matter that you touched on in the story? It's been a wonderful surprise. I was actually worried, to be honest with you, because I was talking about things that, in general, we don't talk about in society, you know. Uh, Matters of sexuality isn't something that parents usually, at least people of my generation, people didn't talk about. So it really surprised me. I've been receiving lots of notes and and emails telling me how thankful they are that I remind them of their childhood, that I have really given them a voice. And so it has been a very nice surprise. Then the other thing too is the historical nature. A lot of young adults, and I don't really understand why they don't know enough about the recent history, and by that I mean post-colonial history. And so because, you know, there was all that information, the history, the relationship between Ghana and Nigeria, all the dynamics, the love-hate 
and that was also something that they were grateful to learn. So it's been a very nice surprise. Mm, wonderful stuff. So uh, let's blend this. Um, Lucy, what was your inspiration for the bold new novel? Um, the, the bold new novel was a very organic process. So it came about over many years. Um, the actual sort of process of putting the material together and um, turning it into a book took about a year. Um, Nana was part of that journey. But in terms of building up to it, it, it was a journey of many years. And it, it really um, encapsulates some of my learnings and my journey through working in Ghana and other countries in Africa, um, engaging young people, talking to them. The, the, you know, the title and the name came out of my um, TED Talk. But I think what young people in Africa are really looking for is they're looking for the empowerment to say that we can do this. They're looking for, you know, a lot of the time they articulate it as leadership, but what they're really asking for is some guidance. How do we make this right? How do we move this along? And so the book really is most directly to the young people of Africa and young people like them around the world, but primarily in Africa. You went through what you call an organic process. Um, did you think at the beginning that you would at some point want to translate the lessons you learned along the way in your own career and growing up into text that can go around? Did, did you anticipate that would be the way to talk to people? Never. I never did. So it was in that process of back and forth that people started saying to me, maybe you should write a book. And maybe you should write a book. And I thought, um, I hadn't actually thought of, of um, myself as someone who writes a book. And it's only very recently that I'm able to say to people, or when people write author, I don't feel strange. For the most part, it, feels, it has felt really strange. Um, so I never thought of that. But in 2018, at the start of the year, when I had left ETA at the end of the previous year, I thought, what are the things that I would want to try in my life? but I haven't. And on my list, number two or so was write a book. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I'll try and write it. And if it doesn't work out, I can at least say I tried. But I was very fortunate. I ended up working with some amazing people, aka Nana and Kofi, um, and you know other people they brought on board. And, and we made it a reality. So I'm really thankful for that. But I guess being an engineer, also means that I'm willing to try to solve a problem that I don't know how to solve. I don't know how to write a book. We're going to have to figure out how this writing a book thing works. It's quite interesting that um, you are happily going about your life uh, as uh, a business leader. And then people tend to come up to you and say, you, you seem to have stuff in your head. Write a book, write a book. <laughs> BC, do you find that lots of the people who encourage you to write um, often say it so flippantly that, when you start the journey, you kind of wonder, did I take this challenge on with my faculties intact or I must have just gone off my <laughs> at the time? No, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I, I've been writing since I was a child. I mean, Wesley Girl, go Wesley Girl. <laughs> I, I remember winning an award for a play that I, I wrote. Mm -hmm. I was actually about, I think, uh, 14, 15 years old, and I remember trying to join the Ghana Association of Writers and being told I was too young and 
to go away. And so I just, you know, was a closet writer. I just kept writing. And I, I, so for me, it seemed like the most natural thing on earth. I think it was rather the other way around, the pressure of not being able to write because I simply didn't have the time. I mean, when you're trying to pay bills, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have the luxury of saying, oh, let me write and that kind of thing. So it was a very long process, you know. So I didn't, right now the pressure I feel is rather to write my memoir. Anytime I say, oh, do you know, oh yes, I remember I did this and that and somebody will go, oh, write a memoir. And I go, no, I don't want to write a memoir. What is for you the biggest hurdle on the subject of writing a memoir? Because I have found that, you know, you meet people who um, have a very interesting story to tell um, and you would suggest that maybe they write a memoir. And, And the first thing they say is, no, 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 I don't want to write a memoir. Oh, one, the, the first thing will probably, the first reason is probably cowardice. I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to write a memoir, and this is my belief, mm-hmm. that you should write the absolute truth, at least the truth as best as you remember it. Mm-hmm. You should not embellish things. In other words, don't try to make yourself look good or special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to tell the raw truth. So the truth of the matter is that I don't have the guts to hang it all out there because obviously we all have things in our lives that we are not proud of. So do I really want to, you know, have everybody point a finger at me and go, oh my God, she did that. So no, um, I don't want to. The other thing is that um, truthfully, I'm not sure that my life has been that interesting. For instance, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Book two, which should be coming out next year, I actually tried to write a memoir. And the editors kept saying, eh, but no, what about if this happened, if this happened? And I said, no, it didn't happen. So for me, fiction allows me to maybe start from um, a truth as a springboard, but to tell larger truths. I get to use my imagination. I get to create scenarios that, you know, normally would have happened, which is, you know, what I get. For instance, people read of women and frogs and they ask me, oh my God, is it just yesterday? People were asking me at the Writer's Cafe whether it was a memoir. And I said, no, (laughs) Um, I actually created a character that I wish I were like when I was young, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that fiction for me at this point works better. Maybe one day when I'm, I don't know, 80 or something, I may just put together my life for the younger people to to read. I hope that there will be something more interesting to share with them than what I have so far. Nana, let me come to you. Um, You have been leading the charge for um, what I'd like to call the literary renaissance in Ghana. Um, Your love for books, um, every interaction we've had, uh, organizing writers' grottos, you know, doing things where encouraging people who have never thought about writing to even come to these events and meet people uh, to, to inspire them, hopefully, into writing or reading more. Why do you do that? Uh, well, the, I, I like the build-up to the question. The final question took me by surprise. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think it's just, it's just some inner, inner passion. Some, some of the passions you really cannot explain. Mm. But I, I, I grew up just loving um, reading. As, as, you, as you know, there, there are three engineers on this call. And as, as I went through secondary school, 
as I went through preparatory school, um, the, maybe the interesting thing is that the preparatory school I went to, I the same preparatory school with Kofi Akwabli actually. Um, okay. Our headmaster, a Presbyterian minister, infused in us so much love for literature that whatever we became later in life, we still had literature as a side gig for mm. most of us. You know, so that passion went through through secondary school. So even though I was a science student, I always had these fat novels uh, with me. And then I was acting, and in the university I was a poet, I was acting, you know. So I think that was an innate uh, passion that went through. And then I got into writing and, and stuff like that. Um, so why do I want people to read? I really don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I, I think that when you read, and from my own experience, um, yesterday I was telling somebody that when you read with an open mind, you find gems in places which are not actually labeled as gold mines. Mm. You open your mind, you learn more, you have a better appreciation of life. A reading nation becomes a thinking nation. A reading yes. nation becomes an enlightened nation. A reading nation is not messed up by all these politicians who talk a lot of nonsense because people begin to think critically. They analyze whatever they read. They analyze whatever they hear. So they have critical reading, critical uh, listening. Everything is so critical. So I think that's really uh, the passion, my personal passion that I, I think I can spread around uh, the nation to, to let us all become enlightened. Trust me, would rather spread this than COVID-19 at any time of my life. <laughs> what does it take to be able to get your show on the road, so to speak? Um, do you think that the synergy that you have with, um, with Kofi has been able to really uh, bring this to life quicker than it would have if you were doing this all by yourself? Absolutely. The synergy has been amazing. So the two of us are more than three for sure. Um, Kofi has his own network. Um, so when it comes to, for instance, I'll give you an example. When we were doing these uh, road trips uh, for reading, mm-hmm. the readathon, you know, Kofi is a tourism expert. He works with these hotels. And so when we go to a town, he's able to, through his network, get us where to sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh. I am I am I am more online in terms of my network, in terms of getting people to know about what it is that that is going on. My um, network through corporate as well. I have more corporate uh, networks that than, than Kofi would have. So between the two of us, and clearly you know how partnership uh, work. The the output, uh, whatever we would find uh, bring out eventually, is always an improved version of what the individual the, the two individuals thought. Because we challenge each other a lot. We busy knows that we we don't agree on many things, but at the end of the day we'll debate and then we'll come with a with a good output. So I think that is it's an example for all of us. There are some things that clearly we could never have done if we were doing this uh, individually. I want to come to you, Lucy. You wrote a book um out of what we have all accepted as an organic um, situation. So it evolved over time. Um, and eventually you succumb to the pressure that maybe all the experiences that you've had should be put together as a book. Um, what kind of books do you read? I think that's the short question I need to be asked. Um, gosh, uh, so I read, I love lots of, I love to read books that get me thinking. So while I enjoy novels, um, and I like the fascination of lot novels and so and, and lots of the time the sort of historical 
con context that some of them carry. I like books that make me think, like psychoanalytical. So I absolutely love um, people like Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I've read um, Adam Grant. I do, you know, to, my, to the first part of my answer where I talk about um, um, fiction and, and what I learned from it, it's for that reason that I love African writers. So lots of African writers open up your mind to the context of Africa and the understanding of Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, but because I'm such a keen um, student of leadership, I think ultimately leadership is about the human mind and your ability to influence people to do and be better. So if you don't continue to study the mind and behavior of the human being, it's very difficult to lead. I mean, even during this pandemic, I've seen a number of leaders in business who lean quickly towards, oh, we need to make sure we have the tools and that Zoom is working and this is working. Those are all important. But sometimes they forget that what's actually happening to the people in your business is that they're struggling. They're waking up in the morning and thinking, my whole world has been thrown apart. You know, they're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen six months from now. And if as a leader, you can't tap into the understanding of the human mindset and behavior and conditions, very difficult to lead. And so that's why I like some of these authors, because they get me to think about people and situations um, in ways that I can then apply to leadership that I wouldn't have anticipated otherwise. Uh, Reverend Okwa. Uh, I haven't forgotten you're there. So let me drag you in at this point. Um, what kind of books do you like to read apart from the Bible? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> so like, like Lucy, I'm very interested in how people have become who they are and how they got to do the things they're doing. So I yeah. tend to jump into the, any autobiographical book I can find. Um, I'll jump I'll into jump in and frogs. Yeah, so so that's that's um, I'm I'm uh, Nana is next my next phone call actually I need that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just to try and understand and also maybe because I'm a priest um, I'm constantly being faced with human situations and I have to you know the expectation of priests is that we have the answer to all questions all problems and we ourselves have very minimal or no problems at all. And so in reading other people's things, it, it's outside of the Bible, it helps me to, to understand where people are coming from, how they wind up in the situations uh, that they end up in, and how people who've been in those situations have, have gotten out of them, and so on. I also like uh, whodunit type of books. Um, again, I, I, my mother is always telling me that because I'm a priest, I'm always reading evil stuff. But I like, <laughs> I like to see how a warped mind works, you know, because, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it just gives you the other side. It, may, it makes yes. you see that it's not all nice and lovely. There are some really yeah. wild and crazy things that happen, and they're yeah. happening with normal human beings. Yeah. So that, that's kind yeah. of what It's interesting you talk about the whodunit, because whodunit is my approach to television. Like, I, I, I'm always watching some kind of crime drama or, you know, right. something that, you know, that the mind has done, people have done something. I'm thinking, how on earth did they, they do that? And my husband's always like, don't you watch anything else? Isn't there anything else that you find interesting? That <laughs> <laughs> I find that really interesting. I get stuck in. That's interesting. So you have read, you know, stuff that, you needed to, to sort of give you a fair balance and an insight into um, what I'd like to call not your everyday life. 
Um, and, 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 and what has that taught you about the world? So it, it's taught me that the world is a miserable place to start with. Um, <laughs> with, with wonderful people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful people. But you know, the human condition is a miserable one. Mm. And, that is, and for that reason, we should be compassionate. Now, I'm not talking about this from a holy scriptural standpoint. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about this from the perspective that people get things wrong all the time. Mm. And a lot of why so many people are stagnated in life now is because they don't want to get things wrong. Because the world is so harsh when people get things wrong that everybody is taking a position of, you know, I don't want to do anything because I don't want to mess up. I don't want to be judged, blah, blah, blah. But then the human being fundamentally, it doesn't matter who you read about, is flawed, very deeply flawed. And I mean, that's what it's taught me. So when I mess up, I don't feel so bad. Let's go to the uh, book that, this uh, is your book uh, of women and frogs. So let, let me do a small spoiler. Um, when I came across the development of the protagonist, you know, she had been told so many uh, white lies that she was so beautifully um, innocent, you know, um, and so things that we have been very wary of uh, entertaining by thought or action, um, she was very open-minded about them. She was, in fact, intrigued by um, the whole concept of supi in the secondary school. Um, how did you weave that, that part of the character's development um, and, and where did you draw references from to be able to make it so believable um, and touch on a subject matter that culturally is taboo, but we all know happens around us? All of us are preoccupied with the psychology of people and how they become who they become. So that's all part of it. Um, this was a sexual and emotional journey. And for me, when I was growing up, I knew that my big sisters, I have... Oh, six big sisters, and they used to have soupies, and I used to read their letters. And what I found was that parents were very, very strict. I mean, my 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 parents, my my father in particular, was very strict. We were not allowed to have boyfriends. And to my surprise, my father didn't seem to really mind. I mean, he he never talked about it. He never criticized them for the soupie behavior. So it seemed as though well, if you are not allowed to have a boyfriend, then you could experiment with with girls. I mean, I'm rationalizing it now, but at the time, all I understood was that supis were okay with parents. Uh, And now, you know, I'm I'm wondering, was it really okay or was it that they just chose to look the other way, um, thinking that the child was going to get to 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 grow out of it or what I don't know and I know that I wanted one and if you remember um, you know somewhere I wanted one and so my journey was a little bit like AC's mm-hmm. but for me I was a very ugly girl and so nobody wanted me and so I never ever Absolutely. to this day I never got to play so 
AC journey, like I said, is something that I wish I had experienced. And I didn't experience that. But I felt cheated. You know, I didn't get to, nobody ever wrote me a love letter like, you know, with, I love you 99.3% I never got any of that. I, I was really, really cheated. I wanted, I wanted to feel special. I was the kind of girl that other girls considered not, not pretty at all. So media, I, I lost out on that. So my inspiration came from, like I said, I wrote out a character. I created somebody that I wish I had been more like. I wish I had been braver. In fact, um, Reverend Apia actually said something that was interesting. And it's true. The way we are brought up in Ghana, we are afraid of taking risks because it's true. Uh, in fact, one of the go-to ways of disciplining children in Ghana and in perhaps a lot of African countries, is to insult the child, even Asian countries, is to insult training, you use physical attributes, mm. or you say the child is stupid, if you're asked to get something and you, you don't get it right away, or even in school, if you don't know your multiplication tables, if you, if you can't answer a, a question correctly, it's as if you have committed a moral wrong. So there is shame always associated with not being perfect. And because we are afraid of not being perfect, we don't want to try. And that is why I created AC like that. AC was both where other children are not. She was willing to try just about anything. And because the parents did not teach her, did not you know, tell her the whys of not behaving or behaving in such a manner, she just did whatever felt natural to her. And so she learned her lessons as she stumbled and made mistakes, but she was always plucky, always determined <laughs> to find a way out, you know. So that was really my motivation for writing that. So um, just to let everybody know, again, it's not autobiography. Now, I will say, though, the setting is completely autobiographical because I was writing in Virginia. My first book, I didn't have any money to come down to Ghana to do any research. So I used all the places that I knew. So if I wanted to write about a small town, I placed her in the small town that I knew. She went to the same school that I went to, Wesley Girls. I knew there was a beloved prince called Miss Garnet. I added Miss Garnet. <laughs> and uh, she went to Legon. Well, I knew Legon. I could describe the setting very well. I could describe parts of Surulere, Nigeria, and where Fela's shrine used to be because I knew a lot of things from my sisters, from my uncles and aunties and grandparents. And so the setting and the arc of a story. I would say it's almost autobiographical, but the scenes, the actual incidences are not. I okay. wish I had experienced them. <laughs> I think I would like to go to Lucy. Lucy, would you ever write um, fiction? Yeah, good question. I, I don't know. I don't know because I think the next book I'm thinking of is still along the, the lines of this you know, thought leadership on Africa mm -hmm. um, so that's the next one I have in mind I just haven't found the time and Nana is patiently on standby so we'll get there um, but fiction perhaps will come at a time when I'm a bit more relaxed so I have this picture of the future and don't laugh but I think I, I always like to picture 
And it works. If I picture how I, I want life to be, I kind of work my way to it at some point. And I love reading, watching um, Toni Morrison and how her creative work process works, right? And I, I didn't necessarily fall in love with her process, but it kind of gave me validation that you can live like that. So she wakes up early and she does her routines and she, she, she started it because she had young children. So she had to write really early in the morning before the kids got up. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to do the opposite with grown children. I want to be able to wake up in the morning, do my exercise, drink my tea and sit there and write and read for a few hours before, you know, hours later, I consider any formal official work that I may do. So I think I'm, I'm guessing there. And when I get there, maybe that's when I'll become even more creative and write fiction. This future, this future you have in mind, Lucy, uh, you said we mm-hmm. should start. You haven't, you haven't painted that picture yet. Give us a sense, <laughs> just a sneak peek of what this future you have in mind looks like. I just, I, the, the future where sort of, I get to live even more of my life in close proximity with nature. You know, so you focus on being able to be outdoors, being able to start your day in a more relaxed manner, not rush to the next thing that you have to do for, for work and just be more productive. I feel that there is a way to be more productive than having to rush and chase all the time because when we're, we're able to still ourselves and not just you know, run through routines, we can produce more. Our minds can do so much more um, when we have that space. And I know that we've designed life globally to be a race that we have to get from doing one thing to another. Um, but I would like to get to a point where I can completely step away from that and, and use my time productively as, as and when I see fit. What's your creative process? And I ask you this largely because uh, Bissy has been writing all her life um, and, and you having to set aside your hat as a, um, a business leader to make the time to, you know, kind of, the tunnel vision about the book. What was your creative process? I can safely say that I am continuing to learn about what my process is. What I described to you earlier, I think would, would fit in nicely as my ideal. Um, and I, I say that because obviously I've been through this process once and because I had so much material, I assumed that I would snap my fingers in three months and I'd be done. So going through the first book was actually more a process of learning the need for um, the creative process and respecting it and being open to it. So what happened more was I discovered that the time and the mood had to be right. That just because I decided I had time didn't mean that at that point in time I had anything to write. Um, So what I've learned more is that we have to be open to evolving a creative process and developing one as you go through, especially if you haven't been someone who's always written, um, particularly a book. A book is very different from writing like a bit of poetry and, and fun stuff because I love literature and I did literature, but um, it's different. So I would say that I've learned a lot about the creative process. I've learned that I need to set time, location, mood um, in, in the right place and write. And I hope that by the time I've written another book, I would be more certain and be able to say to people, ha, this is how I write a book. Now, for, for a business leader who 
the little things are critical. So, you know, all T's crossed and I's dotted. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, would you, for the lack of a better expression, say that you're as fastidious about quality uh, at work as you are uh, during the period of writing uh, your book? You know, my biggest fear in writing a book, and Nana knows this, my biggest fear was to have something printed and have any errors in it. Um, and I know Nana won't mind me for, for saying this. We did find one or two after it went to print and I was absolutely horrified. And Nana was able to calm me down. And we subsequently submitted corrections so that the next, you know, anyone who buys now from uh, Amazon gets the right one. But that was my absolute um, horror um, mm. because, um, yes, I, I do apply how I am to the writing process. I understand that it is challenging. Now I appreciate to get every single word in a book right. Oh my goodness. Because you won't believe the number of times we went through that script. Mm. Um, but yes, it, it, it definitely applies. And for me, it's just simply not excusable. But mm. I think like what Reverend Ikua said, I, it's given me a degree of humility that, to understand that even with the best intentions, sometimes things aren't perfect. And yeah. you have to be flexibility in an imperfect world. Reverend Ekwa, um, I noticed you were nodding uh, and smiling when um, Lucy talked about how horrified she was seeing errors in her print um, for an engineer. I mean, in fact, you're an engineer, so is Lucy and Nana. So you're trained to you know, have your ducks all lined up properly. What, at what point do you tell yourself or told yourself in this project you're on that good enough was good enough? I, I haven't been able to tell myself that yet. And uh, like Lucy, that, that is my biggest fear. I mean, I've, I've even gone so far as taking it to assembly press because they read for parliament. Right. Uh, just, just make sure that there's, there's no mistake in it. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, a deadline comes and you say, look, today's the day, so we're jumping. And, it's what it is because everything that I can think of that's humanly possible, mm. um, I've done. And if there's any other, any, any, I've even prayed about it. If there's any mistake in there, well, then it was supposed to be. <laughs> Nana, you've got like, uh, how many books have you published now? Six? Eight, actually. Eight. Hey, I yes. need, I need to up, up, update my, my. No, there, there is one coming out actually in the typesetting stage. So that's the eighth one. But that's it's eight available one. as Kindle. Okay. Hey, now I support pressure on the rest of us. You want, so we want. I started 12 years ago, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so for you, Nana, of course, you're no different to Lucy and Reverend Ekwa. And to a certain extent, uh, Bissy, even though Bissy had been doing quite a lot of writing um throughout her life uh, she's written for journals she actually worked as a journalist a few times um uh, and you know so for her writing is almost second nature for the lack of a better expression you combined work and wrote what seven books um yes. at what point did you realize that okay this thing i have written so far I, I can go to press with it. I can, I can get this to the next level and have it, you know, uh, out there for people to uh, read and interact with. Were you ever afraid about mistakes? What was your biggest hurdle? 
I think the, the more you do it, the more confident you become. It's like a striker. When you are in form, <laughs> you can even have your back turned towards the, the, the goalpost and you attempt a goal. Yeah. Um, but you, the, the truth is that you never finish writing a book. You know, so once you are done, you still read through, you find something that you wish you had written this, you should have written it this way. And, you know, so you never really write, uh, finish writing a book. But I, I try to approach this like a mathematician. You know, there is this line we call, you know, getting towards asymptote, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, it takes, it takes maybe about uh, 90% to get close to where you want to pick you know, no, it takes you maybe about 50% to get there and it could take you the rest of the 50% to really reach the asymptote, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that I, as engineers, we are also quite pragmatic and I try to bring that to, to my work. Mm-hmm. So when you get to maybe 95%, you know that it, it may take you maybe about one year to actually finish that 5%. You would, you would always be pushing uh, the, the target or the, the launch date away. Mm-hmm. So let it go. Do and I like what uh, Reverend Equia said. You do it as humanly uh, possible, and then you you let it go, and then you quickly start reviewing uh, as well, which is exactly what we went through with Lucy's work. You know, it was <laughs> tough. It was really tough, and you know, but and I do the same thing. My my typesetters don't like me because I'll review and review and review, and you can imagine when I was in Nigeria, my typesetter was in Ghana. Mm. He finishes something, he says to me, I find one mistake. He has to do it again and send it back to me. You know, but it, at a point, you have to make a call. You know, mm. But you would always go back and, 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 and write. And that's why we have editions of, of books as okay. well. Okay. Final thoughts around the difficult subjects. Do you think that we are ready to um, George or around some of the, the things that we've considered taboo? Um, or maybe our society is not yet as open-minded to confront these things? Actually, I'll say our society is too open-minded. Remember, I wrote this when I was in America, and and I was thinking America was, uh, Ghana was the same country I had left behind some 15 years, uh, you know, ago. And I came back to find that people had leapfrogged over all kinds of things. I mean, now I, I almost want to say, okay, ladies, gentlemen, young people, slow it down just a little bit, you know, take your time uh, because they, they've run ahead. And so some of the things that I talk about, I seem so old fashioned actually. Uh, so I really do think that people are ready. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the adults who aren't ready. I had a, a PhD student from, I, I don't remember which university, but she came to Ghana. I met her at Ashesi when Ashesi invited me for the Ebony Conference. And she ended up writing a review, which she published in a South African magazine. And she said she, she had all kinds of complimentary things to say. Her one beef with me was, oh, Ghanaian women don't think the way Isi does. And I said to myself, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> maybe in your nice little corner they don't and um, it really had to do with sex she thought AC was too sexual but the truth of the matter is that we do in fact think about sex a lot especially when we are children when we are being um, when people are putting ginger in our private parts for 
for um, whatever it is they think we have done. When you're being told you can't do this and you can't do that. So if anything at all, the more you tell a child not to do something, the, the more they become obsessed with the, with the subject. So I think young people are very much um, obsessed with that. So honestly, I think people are ready and people should be ready. And if they are not, well, too bad they should read and get ready because we are going to have young people who are growing up who are so radical that if we don't learn their language, if we don't learn to meet them, they're not going to listen to us because if all we do is throw scriptures at them. And I remember I was very pleased when I met um, Reverend Akria. I, well, I didn't actually meet her, but when I listened to her speech because she was speaking the 21st century language to these young people and telling them about the skills that they needed to survive in a 21st century world. And I had attended a, a seminar where I had learned all the things that she, she talked about. If we are not ready to meet them where they are, and I mean, I just discovered TikTok. What in the name of carnation is TikTok? <laughs> I, 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 I actually try to go on. I don't you need to go and live in my house. I'm telling you, we need to learn their language. Today's, and here's the thing, today's young people, they want to read, but they have a very short attention span. So actually, I like of women and frogs, it's just by accident that the language is so so simple because I was writing from the point of view of a child. But the truth of the matter is that they have such a short attention span, they want to absorb information very quickly. You know, they have things flashing, WhatsApp messages, YouTube video, books are competing with all these colorful things and entertainment and television and, and what have you. And then you're going to write some philosophical something and you're going to write it in a language that is so far above them. So for me, I feel as though when we're writing, always ask yourself, who is the audience? And for the audience that I wrote, my book works because I wrote it for women, um, young women in particular. And well, the funny thing is that actually men enjoy the, more, the book more than men. <laughs> I'm totally surprised because no, don't be. Time. We're just like, as curious as as everyone else. We we wanted to from I think I think for me personally, it was the only opportunity I had to get a literary perspective to stuff that I had heard about um, in in our society, and also to kind of walk the journey, you know, to realize that okay, so. Uh, you know, boys were lied to about certain things um, growing up, and 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 so the girls were also lied to. So basically, we were all lied to. You know, so it yeah. was just as <laughs> <laughs> it was just as revelatory for me as Essie's own story unfolded. You know, so uh, don't be surprised that uh, you know we will outbuy the woman when it comes to uh, of women and frogs on that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for having me and uh, for this wonderful panel too that I've finally connected with yes. uh, Lucy Christ and on a more personal level, Reverend Pia. I'll be yeah. looking forward to reading your book when it comes out. Yeah. You are such a dynamo. You should hear her speak. I mean, she she's the size of a finger, but my God, the voice, <laughs> the message she has. She can move a mountain. Uh, we hope that this conversation has, uh, you know, inspired you, giving you insights. And uh, we look forward to reading your own books. So, 
much. Thank See you all. God bless you. Bye bye. You've been listening to Simple Conversations with me and Shira Ado, and I hope our conversation helps you live a fuller life. Do join us again for the next episode.